Welcome to Breaking the Silence with Dr. Gregory Williams. Dr. Williams is the author of the acclaimed book, Shattered by the Darkness, Putting the Pieces Back Together After Child Abuse. Dr. Williams is on the senior leadership team at Baylor College of Medicine in Houston, Texas, and Dr. Williams travels the United States speaking and training professionals, parents, and victims about the importance of dealing with abuse and personal trauma head-on and not being afraid to break the silence of your own personal pain. Feel free to call in to tonight's show at 888-627-6008 and speak with Dr. Williams and his guests live on air. And now, your host, Dr. Williams. Welcome to Breaking the Silence. I'm Greg Williams, and you're in my side of my home right now, uh, looking out the 19th floor window, see what's happening behind us at the Texas Medical Center. And normally at this time, there's a sunset going down, but apparently we're getting into the winter months, and the time's starting to get uh, changeable and uh, getting later, and, and uh, the sun's going down earlier, and and uh, doesn't look like much is happening down over here. But uh, welcome to the program tonight, because we have a lot of stuff happening here, right online. So this is going to be one of those shows that you may want to text somebody, email them, call them, and say, hey, we want to make sure you tune in tonight because we have an awesome guest tonight. I'm looking forward to her story, hearing about her resilience, hearing about uh, how to get through it, and uh, telling us what's the best options for us to be able to jot some things down and try in our own life to be able to handle the different things that she has ha happened to have happened to her, but things that we have dealt with in our life, and maybe we need just a little bit of encouragement or a tip or an idea of uh, wisdom, because I personally think that in our life, God never wastes a pain, and when we can learn from somebody else's pain uh, and break our own silence, we get to grab a hold of somebody else's hand on this journey. And maybe not walk down the road with him very long, but just in those crisscrosses of the people that we get to meet here on Sunday night, uh, I have learned so many things. I know our listeners have, too. You can actually participate tonight in the program by in two different ways. One, by calling in 888-627-6008. And TJ at the BBS radio station is live right there. He'll be glad to pick up the phone and uh, with his radio voice, welcome you into the program. And he'll pat you right on through to talk to me and the guest tonight. We would love to have calls. Or you can actually get on the Shattered by the Darkness Facebook page. And I'm refreshing that right now to make sure we are live. And yeah, we are. We are live and good there. You can get on there and comment. Um, put questions there, and my son Curtis will let us know all the way up in Seattle, Washington, um, what comments are coming through and what questions, and he'll text me or let me know uh, through the radio station. So just welcome to, to Houston, Texas, one of the most beautiful cities, I believe, in the world. Uh, before we get to our guest tonight, and I, I just read uh, the book uh, and looking forward to really uh, drilling down deep inside of her mind and her experiences, um, something happened to me this week that I always like to talk about things 
You know, it seems like since COVID has come and gone and now maybe uh, rearing up its ugly head again, I was getting really used to and enjoying the six feet of distance uh, that we got to put between us and another living person, uh, especially when you're waiting in line. Uh, I, I really don't like people to, to get right up behind me and and uh, want to jump on my back and walk through the Ross uh, checkout line with me. Uh, I, I kind of like that area of safety and boundaries. And I, I have ran across a word that I, I've used, but I've read a, a whole book on this one word this week, and it really opened my eyes to what sensibility and balance in life can do for us, and that word is called margin. Uh, what is margin? And I, I think if you take like like my book here, and I don't know if you can see it with all the lights or not, but I'll try to get it. If there wasn't margin on these pages, uh, there wouldn't be any of this white around each of the page. There wouldn't be any white between paragraphs, and there wouldn't be any spaces between the words. And it would make the, these two pages literally one big sentence crammed in and crushed in to where you couldn't even make rhyme or reason or understandability about what is on the page. When we have a life that doesn't have margin in our own world, that's exactly what it does to us. It takes all of our schedule and then our mind and our time and our day timer and our calendar and all of our appointments. And it just starts squeezing it in to where we become like a box that is filled and just waiting to explode. And in my case, sometimes implode because I do more damage on my inside than I think I do on the outside. And margin is, according to the dictionary, just a spare amount, a measure or a degree that's allowed for us if needed. And margin is really a safe place between the load and our limits. What can, you know, we would never dream of, maybe I would, maybe you would, uh, getting on an elevator that says the maximum load is 800 pounds, and we cram in 10 people that you know all weigh together about 1,000 pounds. We wouldn't dream of getting on that because they would just go, you think it's going to fall, it's going to break, it's going to crash. But we do that to our own, and I'm one of those famous ones for that. They call me and say, hey, Greg, you want to come speak? Yes. I hardly ever say no, wherever it's at, whatever time, I'll try to cram in even two or three uh, speaking engagements in a day. And I think I need to learn what I just read about in this book. I need margin in my life. I need time to sit back and relax. And there's a couple of things I just wrote down and I always take a file folder and then I just start jotting down right before the, the program, what I want to write or say about uh, just in a, in a few seconds. But I think we need a schedule for our own self downtime. That's called what us uh, professionals out there that get to go and speak at these conferences, that's called mindfulness. It's basically scheduling downtime for us. I'm uncomfortable with that. I will give and give and give and give and sometimes never give back to myself. And eventually, I end up wearing out. Eventually, it takes a toll on my emotions, my relationships, my my uh, physicalness, 
uh, and my exhaustion, and it just wears me out. So you need to schedule time for you to take care of yourself. You also, and I think it's important, and maybe our guest tonight has some wisdom on this, we need to set boundaries in our life. Not be afraid to set emotional, physical, time-wise, uh, and, and say, hey, wait, uh, I want to schedule this time for me, and nobody's going to be able to enter into that. That is time that I have blocked out for me or for me and the people that's most important in my life. So schedule uh, downtime, set your boundaries, and then uh, unplug sometimes from this crazy thing. How many of us wake up in the morning, we immediately start going here and start doing this. And then we do this all the way until we doze off at night. No wonder I have gray hair and starting to thin because we're spending so much time, useless time on this. When I need to spend more time working on me, building relationships, caring and loving for the people that are most important in my life. And then lastly, Plan time to refresh, recharge, and refill. Time for you, time for God, and time for those people that's important in your life. Jesus said in the book of Matthew, chapter 11, 28, Come unto me, all you that are labored, all you that are heavy laden, and I will give you more load. No, that's not what he says. He says, you come unto me, all you that labor and heavy laden, and I'll let you experience rest. A lot of us just need rest. Take a break. Take a breath. Step back. Push back. And say, hey, wait. I'm taking some time for me. I'm taking some time for God. And personally, I'll just throw this in. It won't cost you anything extra. If you don't take time in the morning to start your day before you pick this up and trying to figure out how many people liked you or following you or buying your books or whatever, take time to spend filling your mind, your heart, in your spirit with positive things. Because if you don't have margin in your life, you're going to miss out on the most important things in your life. That's what I learned this week. That's what I'm preaching to myself tonight. But hopefully you can take some of that advice, use it, try it. And I got a feeling that uh, you'll be glad that you did at the end of the week. I'll tell you what, I find out people's life stories People's missions and their passions and their their good things that happened to them and some of the tra most traumatic things you've ever heard that's happened to them several different ways. And on this guest that we have tonight, I simply found her on LinkedIn and then I started checking her out, reading about her, uh, immediately uh, got her two books and uh, started reading about her and um, decided I wanted to reach out and ask Mary Jo Ross 
uh, I believe, from the awesome state of Oklahoma. Um, <laughs> still there, but that's where she's born and raised anyway. She's, she's nodding yes. But I just want to bring Mary Jo Ross into the program tonight. So Mary Jo, come on in. She has written a book. And, and in 2022, she was allowed to tell her story for the first time publicly and realized that she had been and become literally a workaholic uh, all of those years before and possibly to keep her mind off that stuff. But when she started to reveal herself, share her story, she found out that God had a purpose for what she went through. And now she's doing the very thing that the purpose is, is to tell other people how she dealt with it, and how you can too. So you're on the right program tonight. Welcome to the program tonight, Mary Jo Ross. Can you hear me? Yes, I can. Happy to be here. Well, it's great having you, Mary Jo. And where are you at uh, in Oklahoma? Oh, also uh, Oklahoma, so northeast of Tulsa. Okay. I am familiar with Enid. Uh, we used to go to Enid, Oklahoma a couple times a year as a child to see my aunt and uncle. And uh, I love Oklahoma. It's, it's Kind of flat there, but Texas isn't too mountainous here either. So, uh, but welcome to the program tonight. I'm so glad you took time out of your busy schedule to share your story with us this evening. Oh, thank you. So tell me, I, I read, uh, tell us about the two books first. Uh, did you write the, uh, the first book that is called, uh, uh, something about can my blueprint survive my vacation? <laughs> Can my business. business survive my vacation? Yes. That came out in June. Okay, that came out in June. And then the other one, which is a, a conglomerate of stories, when did that come out? That came out in March. In March. So you've had two come out this year. Yes. And wow. I didn't plan to be an author. <laughs> God had something to do with it all. <laughs> well, tell me, so what got you motivated um, and then we'll get into your story. What got you motivated to even start writing things down? Have you always journaled? Had you always jotted things down? Have you always liked to write? No, actually, no. And I would always, even in therapy, I would refuse to journal because I didn't want somebody to read what I wrote. And people have told me for years, oh, you need to write a story. It's like, people don't want to hear what I went through. Not going to happen. I even said that N word that never will happen. And I would, a year ago, I was able to speak at a conference, a summit held by the Demand Project here in Oklahoma. It's a two-day summit that for law enforcement and everybody who works with children and does different CEs, attorneys, all that. And I was given the opportunity to tell my whole story for the first time. And I've always been an introvert. I've always been shy and quiet. So it was a big deal for me to get up there and talk for an hour. How did people I'd know also that you been had afraid of telling No, go ahead, go ahead. No, you're fine. I'll um, ask the question when you're done. Go ahead. Okay. Um, and I'd always kept people at a distance. You know, even longtime friends just knew bits and pieces because I was always so ashamed. And I thought I would be rejected. But two weeks before I spoke, God took that away. I'm not the one who should be ashamed. You're right. Your story is very powerful. Uh, very powerful. 
um, because it involves uh, not only abuse, but a satanic cult um, and years of this, not just one occasion. And I want to preface this with the people that's listening. It doesn't matter if it was one time or a thousand times. The effect of the trauma can be just as devastating on whoever's listening. So Mary Jo and I are not going to try to play uh, uh, ping pong and say who's got the worst story. That's not what this is all about. It's her story that she's going to tell you why it was important for people to believe her finally. How did how did this organization know you had a story, Mary Jody even asked you to come on board to speak? Well, actually it all happened through LinkedIn. A friend of mine works there and she had posted something uh about sex trafficking something like that and it just kind of hit home one day. And so I started following her and we reached out when we went back and forth. And it turns out that I had memories and I dealt with them in therapy, occult stuff, and of other trauma, other sexual abuse and all that. But there were some things that just really didn't fit. And I shared one of those experiences with her and she said, that's sex trafficking. I never knew that. I grew up thinking that's just part of life. Yeah, me too. And so I asked if I could volunteer at the summit because I do other volunteer work for him. And she said, no, you're going to be a speaker. <laughs> so <laughs> for me to get up and speak, it, and it was very powerful for me. I wasn't nervous at all. So it was a God thing. And I talked about from, I, well, I was born into a generational satanic cult. I never knew the name of it, but I know it. It's at least countrywide. And a lot of things are done so people don't know what's going on. I also... When, go ahead. When you described the emblem, it immediately reminded me of an organization that I'm very familiar with. Uh, well, and that was one instance. Well, that, no, I'm not going to okay. say that, but that was just one instance. Okay. Of the sex trafficking. And what happened was I was five years old and I was really excited. I got a new dress, going to go spend the yeah. weekend with my grandparents this, when I lived in Texas. And I had gone to some special event with granddaddy before. So I thought this was exciting. I had gone to a Toastmasters meeting. You know, and got spoiled and, you know, thought it was all great. Well, it was a sunny afternoon in 1971. We drove up and there was this big parking lot in a big brick building. No windows on either side. And granddaddy said, I was joking around and sliding on the front seat because it was leather, you know, five-year-old and he grabbed my arm and he took me up to the door so I didn't get to ask there were some symbols on the on the outside and he said you will do what you were told and that was just really weird because he hadn't talked to me like that before you know I was his favorite 
So we go on in and there's a whole bunch of people there. I was given a notepad and a pen, a piece of uh, a pen, pencil, and a piece of paper. So I doodled on it. And they had, there was a bunch of people up in, in an office area, but they were really noisy. I remember thinking they need their inside voices on instead of their outside ones. And so it seemed to take forever. And when the meeting broke up, I ran upstairs. Granddaddy, is it time to go? Can we go now? Time to go. I said, no. He grabbed my arm again. And as all the men had dispersed, I was the only female in the building, they had gone and formed their chairs in a circle around a big room. I said, can we go now, please? He said, no. And he grabbed my arm and he marched me through that circle to the Grand Poobah and said, we will do what you are told. And I'm scared to death. What happened that day at five years old was I was sexually abused and passed around to every single man in that circle. Of course, I went off into my head for part of it. I came back one time and I was saying, please, I'm crying and balanced. Please stop. Can we go? Please, please. I want to leave. They acted like they never heard me, like I didn't exist. I was just something to be passed on to the next person. Of course, my new dress was ruined and I hurt so bad afterward. It was just awful. But a few weeks later, at grandparents' house, I noticed there was a trophy or some kind of thing up on his um, office shelf. And he told me that he was given the award that he took me for because he took me that he got an award. That's was that the only time that you was used in the satanic circle of this organization? Or did it happen more well, times? And this, isn't, this wasn't even the satanic cult. This was just a little... Trafficking on the side, familial sex traffic. Okay, so this was the cult. No. So this could have been that the organization that I was thinking about. Yes, okay. In Texas? Yes. Okay. So that at five years old, how did you grasp that? How did you deal with that? What did that do to you emotionally at the time that you can remember back on? Uh, did you did you think that this happens to every five-year-old? This was normal? Or did you know something was absolutely, completely out of character, completely wrong? I knew I couldn't trust anybody anymore. Your grandpa did this, allowed this. So when did the uh, the satanic group get involved? Uh, because I think your abuse lasted for, what, 14 years? 17 years. 17 years. I call it my 17 years of hell. Well, with the generational satanic cult, you're born into it, and it's like you're leading a double life. 
because there's people from the community and law enforcement, all sorts of people involved, but everything is hidden and happens at night in different churches or in fields or barns or whatever. And there's a lot of programming and deliberate trauma involved. I'm still directionally challenged after being programmed at age two to not be able to take anyone to where something had happened. Mm. Unless I really think about it, I go the opposite way. Still. And it stopped when you were 17, right? And your senior year Well, that's when, that's when I got out of my parents' house, and that was the beginning of my senior year. Work, I was not living at home anymore. I was working, cleaning apartments, working for a radio station, and applying for scholarships because I wanted to get out, the heck out of town. I knew the only way I could was through scholarships. Yeah. So the, the emotional damage that was caused from you from probably, and we don't know, any, I don't know, you may know, but I don't know if there's any way to know for a fact since you were born, but to your earliest memory, this was going on all the way up to 17 years old. Um, yes. yes. And some of, of it, um, I don't remember, Yeah, but I remember my siblings being abused and molested because on top of all this, um, my dad preferred girls. My mom abused both boys and girls from birth. Sexually abused. And no, I don't remember it, but I watched it happen to my younger siblings. So what kind of impact did it have on you in your childhood besides not having a childhood, a normal childhood? Um but emotionally, relationally, friends, and you automatically said you didn't trust anyone. Uh, no, was that all the way through? And that probably still is today. Uh, but how did that affect you during your your school years? Well, I was always lucky. I was lucky because I was always good in school. And it was a safe place, even though I got bullied. It was still a safe environment because... In my house, dad was an alcoholic and had mental illness, uh, rageaholic, prescription meds, bipolar. My mom had many different, what I know now are different personalities because I never, it was, she was always on egg, we were always on eggshells because we never knew what she would be acting like. And so there was abuse there. And then another thing my dad would do periodically is take there were, I had an older sister, 10 years older, and then I have four younger siblings. And he would take us upstairs. Mom would sit in a doorway in the hallway between our bedrooms. And he would play direct all your five kids, the ways, direct your five kids on all the ways to have sex. But that was a, a regular occurrence. But I don't, I'm just fortunate that there weren't video cameras that there weren't pictures taken that I remember. Mary Jo, because I, I think sometimes uh, I'm trying to kind of put my story in with yours because of the emotion I went. Did you have times 
that you didn't hardly even recall these events. And then all of a sudden, once you started peeling layers back, it opened up another door, opened up another part of your brain. Did it start becoming more of a discovery? And when did that process start blossoming to where it's, wait, this isn't just one leaf on a tree. This is a whole orchard of activities that were wrong on me. Okay. Um, to go back to what you asked that I never answered was, I didn't have friends, really. Yeah. Or I'd have, you know, a friend, kind of a friend that was a competitor. And I remember my mom always coming home from conferences saying, um, your teacher said, you don't have any friends. You need to make friends. But it wasn't a safe environment. I couldn't bring anybody home. And if I said anything about anything, my mom heard about it. And so I tried to be invisible. So was your invisibility, the way you tried to be invisible, was trying to be a good student, trying to buy right, by the rules? Right, and not rock the boat. Yeah. But to get back to your question, it was after I had my oldest child when the memories started coming back. Because before that, I knew things really bad happened when I was growing up. But I had kind of snapshots. But it wasn't until I had dreamed, I was dreaming that my dad was getting into bed with me at night instead of my husband that I realized, okay, it's out of control. Because I was having memories and flashbacks and took me a little while to work up the nerve, but it was back in, I think, 89. So you had PPO, you had to get referrals and ask for help to get help. And so I just decided my children were not going to be exposed to anything I had been, that I was going to protect them no matter what. So I worked up the nerve to call the doctor's office and a receptionist put me on hold. So I told her I had been sexually abused and I needed help, put me on hold. And then the nurse came on and who are you? What do you want? And I told her the same thing, but she treated me like I was scum of the earth. That I shouldn't even mention those words. And then she yeah. made me wait three weeks. And Mary, Mary Jo, I, I want to stop here because I want to make sure you don't have to take a break between this story. Because you not only were sexually abused all this time, now you're reaching out for help. And the abuse happens even more. That's so degrading. I don't want you to have to pause that part of that story. So you're on the phone with the nurse trying to get an appointment. On the other side of this break, we're going to hear the rest of how that turned out. How What happened when the doctor walked in? What happened when she went in front of a therapist? What happened to the people that she was trusting and putting her life in their hands with her first time revealing the story? And you're going to find out the other side of this, on the, right after this short commercial break. Hang with us, 888-627-6008. And we're going to hear the rest of the story from Mary Jo Ross. Don't leave us now. Be right back. From HCI Publishing. 
that brought you the international bestsellers, A Child Called It, and the Chicken Soup for the Soul series comes the latest book by Dr. Gregory Williams, Shattered by the Darkness. This book describes the horrific abuse that Dr. Williams suffered at the hands of his father for over 12 years and the damaging effect of keeping everything silent about that abuse for 30 years. If you're looking for that book that you can't put down, then pick up a copy of Shattered by the Darkness by Dr. Gregory Williams at all Barnes & Noble stores, Amazon, and Books A Million. Now, back to Breaking the Silence with Dr. Gregory Williams. Welcome back. We have a special guest tonight, Mary Jo Ross, and she's right in the middle of the story of telling what happened to her after the abuse had stopped. And she is married and uh, having a relationship with her husband and the flashbacks coming back. And then she finally reached out to call the doctor to make an appointment. So, Mary Jo, we're going to start there. And I want you to finish this story because it's, it's riveting. Uh, okay. Four years. Well, the nurse who treated me like scum for saying I'd been sexually abused uh, made me wait three weeks to get in to my doctor. Usually it took two or three days. Small town, right? Small town, yes. Yeah. So the three weeks happened, and I go into the office, and they didn't put me in a patient room. They put me in his office office for some reason. And because there wasn't a bed in there or anything. But I was sitting in a chair and then he had a desk, but there were windows along the other wall on the other side where I was facing. He came in, uh, in the door, I guess, put my chart down, put something down on the little table right inside the door. And he proceeded to walk toward the windows and walked back and forth, looking out the windows while he was talking to me. And he said, what are you here for? I said, I've been sexually abused and I need a referral. I need help. Well, he poked and prodded. And it wasn't safe. And I had too many things. I couldn't just say, okay, one thing happened. So he just went on for a while. Poked, and, you know, I just didn't went into myself. I wasn't going to, I didn't feel safe. But... He finally decided to turn around, told me he did not believe me that I was making it up, but he didn't know how stubborn I was <laughs> because I sat in that chair. I was not leaving his office until I got a referral, and he figured that out, and so he Hemmed and hawed, and then he said, well, I know a female psychiatrist. What about that? Can I re refer you to her? I said, sure. A referral. <laughs> and so um appointment was scheduled. It was two weeks later. So I left the office. I had my appointment scheduled with a female psychiatrist. And that was, this is when I was living in Kansas. It was 
well, it was down in Wichita. I was living in Elder in Kansas, so I had to go into town. And it was the same strangest psychiatric appointment I've ever had. Because if you haven't been, usually the first time is an hour. You get intake and all that, and then you might go 15 minutes for med checks or whatever. But this first time, I wasn't even in there 10 minutes in her office. She asked me why I was there. Sounded just like my doctor. And I said, I've been sexually abused and I need help. I need help. And so she poked and prodded and tried to get me all the details and all that. And then she didn't even wait very long. She said, I don't believe you. You're making this up for attention. You're wasting my time. Marched me out. I It wasn't even 15 minutes. And so I was devastated. And so it was a 23 mile back to town. And I had to pull over several times because I was crying so hard. I just wanted help. And so I avoided the mental health center in town because it was on the main drag. and Everybody could see who was coming and going. But that day I didn't care. So I went in, obviously in crisis. So um, a therapist saw me, calmed me down. We talked. And I told her I needed, you know, to find somebody. I needed a therapist. And she said, well, two doctors have said it. It's not true. So it didn't happen. So I can't help you. And the, the only thing she could come up with was there was a 12-week adult children of alcoholics group starting the next week. And I thought, you know, that's that much of the problem. But it's something. So I said, I'll take it. And during the course of that 12 weeks, um, I got to know the social worker who was running the group. And by the end of it, he knew more of my story. And I trusted him. And he introduced me to my hero therapist. Her name was Carol Hammond, and she was out of Newton, Kansas at the time. And she actually is a Christian therapist, and she'd worked with satanic ritual abuse survivors before. Wow. And so that's why I always say, if somebody tells you something or they were abused, tell them you believe them. Because it took me a while, even after I was in therapy, until I met somebody in law enforcement who came and spent a couple of days at somebody else's house. So there was, you know, other people there. And after two hours, he came over to me and looked me in the eye and said, I believe you. He's still my hero. How hard was it? to tell the story to the doctor. For some reason, you're not even in an exam room. For some reason, he didn't turn his face to you. He's looking out the window. For some reason, already had, seemed like a chip on his shoulder or something. He was already in doubt before he ever walked in. How hard was it for you to go to a therapist? Was he still looking for hope? Hey, she's going to believe me? Then after the second time, did you have any other hope? Did it keep knocking you down of saying, what what's wrong with me? Or is the entire world crazy? How was you processing that? 
Well, I was bound and determined. My children were not going to go through what I did. Uh, had to break the cycle. Right. And so I got to know Alan was the social worker's name, got to know him, was able to build some trust with him. And then he told me about the therapist and he talked to her, talked to me and gave me her phone number so I could call. And it was like totally night and day different. She didn't ask me for specifics. And we just talked about, you know, I said, I need help. And some different things. And she said, okay, well, come on in. So I went in. How did this affect, and I, I already know the answer, but I want to hear, hear it live from you, um, the relationship with your husband? Because at that point, he didn't know anything about this, correct? Or did he? Had well, you shared with him before you got married what had happened to you? He didn't remember it before then. He okay. knew I had a bad childhood and everything, but I had a broken picker back then when I got oh, married. Didn't, didn't the pickers get broken? All oh, my lands. <laughs> Mine sure was. Oh, my. <laughs> when I was going away, I, I met him in college, and... My mom couldn't stand him. Hmm. And she was kind of scared of him. You know, and that kind of sealed the deal. Because I was trying to break away, do things, get away from that whole environment. I knew he was an alcoholic and drug addict, but I knew him. I could fix him. That's what he needed. <laughs> you know. But he was also a sex addict and couldn't keep a job. And so a few years down the road, when I started having these memories, our marriage was not in good shape. Yeah. And part of that, during that 12 weeks, I started the divorce process. Then did you end up remarrying him? Getting back with him again or no? Yes. I did. <laughs> At common law, he was the only, well, he was gone for a while. He went through treatment and some different things. And uh, I was remembering all this abuse. And we ended up having two small children by then. So, yes, we were together for a while longer. And then I moved again. We moved again because of his job. And some things happened and I broke it off for good. Yeah. Yeah. Hard for you to have any kind of friendship and relationships today. That trust issue is still huge. Well, I'm usually an observer at first. I like to kind of watch and see how people are, but I have a number of close friends good. that I trust and have my back. And it's so wonderful because I never knew that was possible. Is there any place else besides this super therapist and super uh, um, man at the uh, the AA meeting that helped you with Children's of Alcoholics uh, group uh, where you found uh, a place of peace, a place of help, a place of acceptance, any other organization, any other type of uh, help that you got? To deal with this? Actually, I had an encounter when I was 11. 
after a ritual had taken place. And I'd heard him talking, saying, oh, well, if God was real, he'd strike the lightning, strike the church down. Because it was part of a satanic ritual happened in the church. You know, it was dark and there was some candlelight. And then, but there was another guy off to the side. And I just remember him saying, oh, well, you know, we can do whatever we want here. And when we go to heaven, we can do whatever we want there. Just that mentality. And the ritual was to make sure I wouldn't talk to anybody. Yeah. They put a cow's eyeball in my vagina and said, no matter what I did, what I said, what I thought, where I went, they would always know. So I couldn't talk about anything. But it was after that that I felt the warm arms of Jesus. Mm. I knew I was loved and he was real and I was special. You you had a comment recently on LinkedIn mm-hmm. that some churches have let us down. Why oh, can we do churches. better in, with the church? How can the church be a better supporter of my cases, your cases, and the cases that we hear every week and the cases that we all know? When you start speaking around the world, uh, you're going to hear thousands of these folks come out of the woodwork. Uh, how can the church do a better job being more like Jesus? I think it goes back to training. Yeah. In the seminary, because I don't think they're trained. Yeah. They're not aware. They avoid it. And someone like me, I've had some not good experiences with churches, and they have not been supportive. But there's also a lot of the abuse that happens in churches. Yeah. In every organization. Well, in every organization. Right, right. right. But in churches, and it's a lot easier. I don't know if you've seen like court cases when somebody's been accused of abusing children or a child or whatever, and all these people show up to testify and write letters and all that. A lot of times that is because that person deliberately made themselves into looking like a really great person in the town, you know, prominent, always giving, always doing this for kids. Oh, always helping all that. But they're totally different when they get inside their home. Yeah. Well, I, I thank God that you discovered Jesus because church is made up of people which automatically brings in sin and things that can happen. And we can find Jesus in the church or outside of the church, mm-hmm. uh, but to find him is the key. And um, unfortunately... That relationship, very close to heart. Yes. And he's the strength. He's the one that kept me going. Yeah. I wouldn't be here today. Yeah. And I wouldn't have broken all those cycles of abuse. So when Mary Jo, when you when you gave your speech uh, mm-hmm. back in twenty twenty two for the first time, uh, I'm just going to to throw out the gamut of saying chances are when you said Amen and walked off the stage, p- 
people came up to you afterwards and not only talking about your courage, but did anybody whisper, me too, this happened to me, and you helped open up them to their own story? Yes, then and then other times when I speak, it's amazing the people who will come up, male and female, and say, some of that happened to me. And that's the reason how God can take Mm -hmm. what the devil thought was going to kill you and take it for fuel that's going to make that testimony of yours go around the country, become even more powerful because people need to hear. Not so much maybe sometimes I I listen to the – I tell too much of the darkness in my life and not too much of the light. And I have to start now guiding, revealing more of the light. Yeah, this happened to me, but there's hope. I got through it. This is where I'm at today. You can too. Um, tell me, do you have a, another book? Are you planning on speaking more? Are you going to be telling the story? Your PDF is very powerful. And uh, before we get on off tonight, I want everybody to make sure uh, they know how to get that. And we're going to attach it to the program too. But What is your next step? How are you going to go into the next chapter of what God has opened up within the last uh, six months, eight months in your life? Well, I'm speaking at the Demand Project Summit where I last year, but I'm speaking. I'm doing two presentations on the 12th and 13th of um, October here in town. One of them is on familial sex trafficking. Yes. From an inner insider's perspective. And the other one is tips on how to help survivors along their journey. So I'm doing that. And then I'm on a couple other podcasts. And I have a speaking engagement down in Texas later in October. God's just opening doors. Fantastic. How can people get a hold of you? Uh, the millions of people right now, they say, hey, I'd like to have her come to my organization, my town, my school. Teachers need to hear this. I, I don't think there's an organization of leadership or community that doesn't need to hear this because you have the devastation, the darkness, but then there's the light and uh, that you can get through that if you stay determined and stubborn like you were and didn't accept, I don't believe you. I'm not going to accept that. I'll go to the next person until they believe you. How can they get a hold of you, Mary Jo, if they want to uh, reach out to you and just give you encouragement or invite you to speak? Uh, my website is maryjoross.com. Maryjoross.com. You can have a contact right there through the contact page. Yes. And it talks about some of the things I speak about. It tells a little more of my story. Um, also, I, I'm on LinkedIn a lot under yep. Mary Jo Ross. And if they want this PDF, and tell us about the PDF. We only have like a minute left before they're going to cut us off. But about the PDF, uh, you have all these tips. Um, yes. On that, uh, tell me how they get a hold of that. Well, you can go to the website, okay, MaryJoRoss.com, and it, there's a page talking about tips for serv- for supporting survivors. And it's at least a three pager, it because, isn't it? Yes, it's several pages. Yeah. Because there are some things that you probably don't think about yeah. when you encounter encounter a survivor. I believe you. Is very important. Yes. 
Yeah, and, I can't think of a person or why a person would say things of this magnitude and make that up uh, because it's not a glamorous story. No. Uh, the I believe you is very powerful. Everybody needs to say those words first when they hear a story like that. And it's also important to be a good listener. Yeah, and not ask why you did or, you know, let you tell the story. Right. And not say, why didn't you report? Why didn't you do this? Why didn't the victim right. was a victim? Yeah. They had no power. You know, it wasn't their choice. And you need to keep in mind, if you're working with a survivor, keep in mind that they never had a choice. They were under the control of someone or other people, more than one people. They yeah. weren't given options of what happened to them. And so it's important to, not just say, oh, well, we're going to do this or what. Give a couple options. Yeah. yeah. Emergio, I, I, I thank you for your courage. I thank you. I want to applaud you for coming out and telling the story and not giving up uh, to keep being uh, absolute adamant that you're going to get this out and get help. And you did. And now you're out helping others. So thank you so much for being with us tonight. MaryJoRoss.com. I'm sorry, you've cut out. Yeah, it's MaryJoRoss.com, correct? Looks like she froze up. You still there, oh, Mary Jo? you froze up. Okay, I froze no. up. Okay. MaryJoRoss.com yes. is the best way to get in touch with you. Come back and share with us. I hope I get to meet you personally when we crisscross the country speaking at these conferences and uh, get a chance to talk face-to-face. Thank you so much Thank for being you. with us tonight, Mary Jo. Thank you for inviting me. Okay, God bless. Tell you what, we always like to, to close the program because I know we only have very few seconds. Uh, if you have a story uh, like Mary Jo's, don't be afraid to reach out and get help. Don't accept people's non-belief. Uh, be determined that you are worth telling the story to someone that can help you. There's help and there's people that do care. Sometimes the piety of doctors, therapists, counselors, clergy, teachers, police officers. I can go on through. There's a lot of bad apples in that whole bunch, but you have to keep looking and searching because there's going to be one that's going to say, hey, come in and sit down. I believe you, and I want to talk to you, and I want to hear everything you have to say. It wasn't your fault. It'll change your life. Never give up on hope. MaryJoRoss.com. Get on there. Get that free PDF right now, and you'll have within minutes in your inbox. I promise. God bless you. Join us next week. We have an unbelievably powerful story next week, and you will not want to miss us live from Houston, Texas at 8 p.m. Central Time. Join us. Have an awesome week, and God bless. And Never give up on hope. And, hey, give yourself margin this week. You won't regret it. God bless. Good night. Thank you for listening to Breaking the Silence with Dr. Gregory Williams. To contact Dr. Williams, dial 832-396-6525 or email him at shatteredbythedarkness at gmail.com. And don't forget to join us each Sunday night at 8 p.m. Central Time, 6 p.m. Pacific on BBS Radio Station 1 for the next episode of 
Breaking the Silence. 